All right, ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, children of all ages, welcome to the first podcast of 2019, Ed Namrock Podcast, back again. Uh, I haven't done one in a while, just because holidays, spending money on gifts, doing all kinds of bullshit, you know the drill. Anyway, Happy New Year to everyone. I hope 2019 works out better for you than 2018. I know a lot of people had tough years in 2018 as well as 2017. 2018 showed very little promise. There's hope for you yet. Don't give up. Fuck everybody. Anyway, um... I couldn't help but to look at the lineup for Coachella. Now, I have not attended Coachella for, I think the last time was, yeah, April 2007. And it was when Rage Against the Machine reunited. I have not attended since. I really am not a fan of the lineups nowadays, except for the exception of, I think, one year Justin Timberlake was supposed to headline and tool, and I got excited and and wound up being a fake. This year's lineup and the previous year just doesn't fancy my my fucking, my cack, man. I I don't know. Donald Donald Glover, um, Childish Gambino is headlining Friday. And there's a couple other people on that on that bill that day. Uh, it's Friday, April 12th and 19th, and then Saturday, April 13th and 20th is Tame Impala, Solange, Kid Cudi, which is pretty badass. I would love to see Kid Cudi and Weezer. Uh, there's a couple other ones as well. And then Sunday, April 14th and 21st is Ariana Grande, as she likes to pronounce it. Uh, Khalid Zed, uh, Bad Bunny, and a bunch of other people. Playboy Cardi apparently is going to be there. But before you get all fucking Gran Torino on me and say, you know, music is, is garbage now, whatever, you, you, you don't want to do that. You can, you just don't want to do that. One friend of mine who will rename nameless pretty much said, now fuck all, all this music I got. I got my black Sabbath. I got, I got my guns and roses, blah, blah, blah. That's just, that's narrow mindedness and shallowness. And quite frankly, I think you are a fucking poser of music by saying that. But truth be told is when I went in 2007 in Coachella, that weekend was fucking spectacular. I don't like to rep- reminisce too much about it because I don't want to be the old man reminiscing about what used to be. Um, and forgive me if I start getting teary eyed and start sniffling because it's the season for flu and cold. 2007 was the first time me and my then girlfriend, now wife, went to our first big concert, our first big like festival. 
Night one was kind of a crapshoot. We didn't really pay attention uh, simply because we were more focused on, you know, it was our first year dating. So we got to really enjoy ourselves. We stood in a hotel and whatnot. We were looking forward to the last day, which was the Raging Us Machine show that day. It was awesome. It was frightening at the same time because I have never been in a raging as machine crowd like that one. That was the first time they played in seven years and the entire fucking grass area, the entire floor went ape shit. And I found myself floating in the crowd like more than once. A couple of people had to bail out because they were getting claustrophobic and people were getting kind of fucked up, but nonetheless, it was great. I managed to capture some really shitty footage of them playing on my old Nokia N75 uh, smartphone back then. And um, nonetheless, it was great, but that was the last time I went because every year after that, I wasn't really interested in the lineup. And that's, that's just me. I am still a fan of music, but I just, I don't know. After that, I, I got really picky about festivals, but nonetheless, I still love music. And what I really, really wanted to talk about right now is I picked out, somebody asked me like, Hey, well, what are your favorite albums of all time? Like, give me your top 10, give me your top five. That's really hard for me because I have so many. Um, I remember this is an old man kind of thing. And now I can say I'm an old man, even though I'm too young to be old, too old to be young. But in the eighties and of course the nineties, we used to, we used to dub tapes. Someone would buy the album. I would buy pirated cassette tapes from King Taco on third street, believe it or not. There was this one guy, Paisano, that had Michael Jackson's bad Metallica's Injustice for All and Vanilla Ice, uh, the debut album with Ice Ice Baby and all that shit. I forgot what the name of the album was at the top of my head, but I managed to get three cassette tapes for $10. Back then, that was unheard of. And that's how I started growing my music collection. Then came CDs, and then when CDs came around, that changed the whole game, but you needed to get a pretty decent CD player back then because you couldn't jump around because it would skip. So you'd have to get like the anti-shock CD player, which is pretty interesting because now that I think about it, even the handheld CD players that they were selling back then, you can really move around either. You had to like just kind of keep it stationary and just listen to it. But um, I can't pick out a top five. I'll pick out the ones that I feel had a major impact on my musical life and my then musical creation, my musical influence. Uh, nonetheless, uh, I was very, very heavy into, I want to say pop, uh, but I don't want to say pop because I pretty much listen to anything and everything. I didn't want to limit myself. I wanted to get 
all the flavors of the buffet and then just, you know, get, get, get really in tune with what music is all about. But, um, the first, uh, album and I, man, I don't want to, here's the thing is I don't want to rank it. I don't want to rank each one. I don't because it's unfair to those studio albums that pretty much were my biggest influence. And I don't want to rank them again. I'm going to, I'm going to re reiterate that I don't want to rank them, but I'm going to talk about them. And the first one I want to talk about is two live crews, 1989's release as nasty as they want to be. Here's an, here's an interesting fact about this album. Two live crews as nasty as they want to be was released on my birthday, February 7th, 1989. I couldn't afford that CD or cassette tape at the time. I think CDs weren't really a popular thing back then. They kind of were, but not really. It was, it was, uh, it was kind of high, high end, uh, high fidelity that you had to purchase. But, I begged my mom to buy me <laughs> this fucking cassette tape and she keep saying no because of the, of the album cover. And if you've seen the album cover, it's four black chicks with big asses in the front and all, all the two life crew members right under the legs, uh, on the beach. Um, because it was Miami based. It was pretty much like dirty rap back then. And, um, I liked it. It was cool. And she eventually caved in because she saw for, we got it for $2 pirated at King Taco, of course. And, um, right away, because what caught my attention on me so horny, which is the opening track is, uh, they had samples of uh full metal jacket, uh, which I owned on VHS because one of my mom's boyfriends at the time was working at a video shop or well, owned a video shop and brought that movie home. And you know, the rest is history. That's one of Stanley Kubrick's most epic fucking films, man. But, um, the one thing I didn't realize and I didn't read until later is the sex moans, uh, that are in the fucking, in the fucking, in the song is from a 1977 film starring Richard Pryor called Which Way Is Up. I did not fucking know that. That is interesting because I would try to scan through Full Metal Jacket trying to find that same exact moan and I never fucking found it. It's so fucking funny. And um, the, the entire album from shit, Put her in the buck, dick almighty, come on, babe, dirty nursery rhymes. That shit just drove my mom fucking insane. You cannot. And this is when we were still living in City Terrace. And then when we we had a short stint uh, in South Central, uh, she she heard more of this music. Um, and she came to upset. OK, she came to accept that. OK, it's it's a norm. It's a culture. Um you know, my son likes to hang out with, you know, with, with his black friends and who gives a fuck, you know, it's all good. It's all good time. So, so yeah, that, that would be my, the main one I can think at the top of my head that really 
started me off because, um, you know, I was a curious little boy. I didn't know what, what these moaning sounds were. Uh, in 89, I turned eight years old. Uh, and that's when I really got into, I started getting into sports and I started getting into music. So that would be the first one I, I would talk about. The next one that I discovered from my uncle. Um, my uncle pretty much had a, a series of vinyl and then CD, of course. And um, I'm looking through, I'm snooping through his stuff and I'm looking at all the crazy album covers that I'm coming across. And I see this really weird kind of like skeleton kind of like, you know, witch looking figure. And I'm like, what the fuck is that? And I look at it and it says Iron Maiden, the number of the beast. And I'm like, holy fuck, what the fuck is this? Uh, That album was released like way, well, a year after I was born in 81, apparently. It was released on March 22nd, 1982. And, um, immediately like, I'm like, okay, fuck this. I'm going to play this shit. He wasn't home. So I, I snooped into his shit and fucking played it. Um, this was a cassette tape and there was two sides. Of course, when one side would end, you would have to flip over the tape and play it. Well, I accidentally started on side two. This is a fact. And the opening track on side two was the number of the beast. And I was like, what the fuck is this? This is fucking awesome. My mom's going to shit her pants. And right after that, it was run to the hills. I was like, oh, God damn, I'm fucking in love, man. I don't know what it is. It could be genetic. It could be, I don't know. It could be my my 55% native Aztec fucking from Mexico, but... I loved it. I was obsessed with it. I was like, holy shit. And then I, I couldn't wait to listen to the other side. The other side had invaders, children of the dam, the prisoner, uh, 22 acacia. Um, it was fucking amazing. I couldn't really bring that one home. So I had to dub it and pretty much kind of hide it from my mom. But, uh, that didn't last very long because after this next album that I got, she already discovered like, Oh shit. Okay. This, this son of a bitch is fucking, (laughs) is listening to devil music, which is what she used to call it. Um, which is funny. All right. So yeah. So Iron Maiden number of the beasts, uh, would be another one that really, really, really had an influence on me. Um, And then after that, I started snooping more through his stuff. uh, And I discovered probably my all time favorite metal band of all time. Nothing compares to this band. Uh, I know they're old now and I, I pains me to see them live, but um, that would be black Sabbath. Um, Black Sabbath's uh, debut studio album uh, was released, uh, it says here, it was recorded in October of 1969 and it was released on February 13th, 1970, which is crazy, which is a, a little, little less than a week after my birthday. So, um, 
I I fucking first heard this shit, and of course it was a it was a cassette, um, and it wasn't it wasn't rewound all the way, um, and of course again I started on side two, and in the middle of Evil Woman, um, is when I heard, you know, the song play, and I was like, fuck, man, this is fucking amazing, and the, I remember the first time hearing Ozzy's voice going what the fuck is this man this guy it's like some kind of some some sort of fucking weird sorcery and it and it starts to like really consume you and then as you're listening to it i mean it was only seven tracks but on side two warning uh alone the um i forgot it's a it's a cover i forget i don't remember off the top of my head but i remember that being almost like fucking 10 minutes which was crazy um but uh it's funny because i'm later discovering that there was european editions and then north american editions which is i my guess my uncle would get all the european shit first because he would shop from this uh this one record store in uh in santa ana i don't know if it's santa ana or la habra i don't remember and he would get all the all the all the first dibs uh, on the European editions first, which is, I, th- I think quite frankly, were the best ones. I mean, no, no, not knocking the North American editions, but yeah. So black Sabbath, um, that album alone was fucking amazing. Um, once I, once I discovered them, that, that was the clincher. That was what got me hooked. Cause after that I discovered, um, I went and actually tried to shop for, for cassettes after that. Um, and I'm like, fuck yeah. And I saw this really fucking dope album cover. Um, it looked wicked. I don't even know what the fuck it was, but all I, all it read was motor, no, motorhead, no fucking remorse. I said no fucking remorse, but it said motorhead, no remorse. And that I read later that was released uh, in September of 84, but right away that one i'm like okay i'm going to start it off i'm going to unwrap it i'm going to put it in the fucking cassette player and play it from the beginning on side a i make sure side a boom right away ace of fucking spades plays i was like god damn dude i'm hooked i'm fucking hooked because after that was ace of spades it was motorhead jail base stay clean too late killed by death um and then flip it over and the rest is history i was like fuck man and then i remember i heard um Metallica cover Overkill and they did a good job and I listened to that that was like a previous release I forgot that was a younger uh release by Mo- Motorhead and I had to fucking scramble to fucking find that one at the record shop and I couldn't fucking find it uh and then I heard it on back then it was Pirate Radio 100.3 uh that shit it was I was like fuck yeah dude I I had it like of course, hold record, hold hit pause, hold record and play, and wait for it to come on, and boom, time it. So, yeah, that got me hooked. So, yeah, Motorhead's No Remorse was another one. Um, again, I'm going through my shopping phase, and now I'm actually starting to buy official, like non-pirated cassette tapes, and um, I see the most wicked fucking album cover 
And um, I'm like, what the fuck is this, dude? This is so fucking badass. And it was, it looked like a cemetery, basically. Or like a, I don't know what it was, kind of like a crop. And there was a bunch of white crosses. I was like, whoa, what the fuck is this? And believe it or not, this is the first album I bought. Um, I kind of started a little bit late on this band. Um, that would be Metallica's Master of Puppets. Um, I didn't, I had no idea that I had bought their third fucking album, but, um, shit, I, I, I couldn't, I couldn't fathom the fact that I was like, holy fuck, dude, like this is, at first I was kind of turned off, like, wait a minute, why is there acoustic guitars at the beginning of this song? And it was the opening of Battery, but then, um, I fucking heard it and I was like, God damn. Um, it was shit, dude. I, I, uh, I couldn't, I couldn't fathom the fact that I was listening to something that was probably the most epic thing I have ever, ever heard. Um, and I, I get kind of giddy about it because this album, and I'm going to tell you guys a short story. This album helped me get through a bullying phase when I was attending El Sereno Junior High. Um, I didn't want to retaliate because my mom said, oh, I'm going to kick your ass if you get fucking in trouble at school and I'm going to pull your ass out and put you in a fucking charter school. And I was like, oh, what the fuck, dude? I don't want to do that. And um, I was getting bullied. And then one of, uh, one of the, my students, not students, my fellow students, in PE class where I was getting bullied, said, hey, um, you know, whenever, whenever I feel down, whenever I don't, you know, want to forget about you, I just listen to Metallica. And I was like, oh, Metallica, okay. And that's when I went and found this album. Now, getting bullied and listening to this album isn't exactly the best therapeutic combination, but um, the song that really clicked in my head when I decided to retaliate um, was fucking was disposable heroes. That shit would play in my head immediately. Like it was like a light switch. Boom. This guy kept fucking punching me in the face, pulling my shirt off, ripping my shit, taking my backpack, throwing it on the ground. I even ran from him one time in front of everybody. And I felt humiliated. But one day I just decided to fuck his ass up, but I wound up getting in trouble. So, uh, nonetheless, um, during that really kind of like morbid time of me getting in trouble, getting suspended from school, uh, welcome home sanitarium really, really kind of, you know, put me at ease. And then that's when I discover other albums by Metallica, uh, and the rest is history. That's, uh, my second all time favorite, uh, metal band, uh, besides Black Sabbath. So, so yeah, Master of Puppets, uh, released March 3rd, 1986. I didn't discover them until 1992. So, um, then after that, uh, in the same year, actually, um, actually at El Sereno junior high, there was this thing called the metal tree. Uh, it was basically a tree where all the quote unquote metal heads would hang out. Everyone had long hair. Everyone dressed in black every day. Everyone had a fucking band t-shirt. You had to get initiated or whatever. I tried hanging out with them, but 
I could tell like, oh, I wasn't one of their kind, whatever, because I couldn't afford a fucking a t-shirt at the time. I don't know. I don't know. My mom didn't want to buy me that because this next album that I discovered, I wanted to buy the t-shirt as well. My mom said, nope, you are not wearing that to school. And that was uh, Slayer's Rain and Blood. Uh, Slayer, of course, is known for a badass logo with a pentagram in the, behind the name. And the Rain and Blood cover was pretty, pretty fucking crazy looking. And they had that on a T-shirt. And I really, really, really wanted that fucking T-shirt. So I did. I wanted. Val- I was seeking validation from these metalheads over in El Serino Junior High in the fall of 1992. Uh, it was 92. No, 19. Yeah, I want to say 92, 93 around there. And it didn't happen. So. Uh, but whatever, <laughs> it was weird. Uh, but rain and blood, that, that album fucking speaks to it for itself with me. I mean, that shit opens up with angel of death and then piece by piece, necrophobic, altar of sacrifice, Jesus slaves, criminally insane, reborn epidemic, postmortem. And of course, raining blood. Yeah. And then there was some reissue bonus tracks that I never got to hear till later. There was Aggressive Perfector and Criminally Insane. Um, but that fucking album, man, just really did it. Really fucking. So I'm going through this metal phase, right? So I'm discovering Slayer, uh, all this shit. Um, and then that is weird because that same fucking year in 90, yeah, 92, no, 93. Um, I was listening to KNAC 105.5. I think it was 105.5 at the time. And um, for some fucking reason, late night, they decided to play this uncensored version of this track. And as soon as I heard it, and I'm sitting up for this because to this day, this band has been the biggest influence, not only in my lyrical content, but uh, my pretty much my inquisitiveness with um our society today uh not taking no for an answer and asking all the questions you can from multiple sources just to not be a fucking yes man or yes woman um i remember my mom set up an alarm clock for me to wake up to school and um next to my couch because I didn't sleep on a bed until I want to say till I got to summer camp at Whittier College for football camp which was 1999 so I never slept on a bed um I always slept on a couch my mom always slept on a bed but I was listening to the radio late night and it was around a little I want to say close to midnight uh it was a a little after the week of my birthday, 93. And I, I'm hearing the song and I'm like, this is fucking different. This is, it's, it's rock. It's fucking heavy shit. But what the, what are, what are these vocals? And I hear this fucking wicked ass fucking guitar solo. I'm like, what the fuck is that? That sounds different. I'm like, whoa, this is, this is weird. And, um, then there, I, I don't know if they just decided to play the uncensored version or what, but, um, uh, I'm like, what the fuck? All I hear was fuck you. I won't do what you tell me. Uh, 
Fuck you, I won't do what you tell me. Fuck you, I won't do what you tell me. Fuck you, I won't do what you tell me. I heard that shit repeatedly, and I was like, whoa, what the fuck is this? I have never, ever, and you know what's fucked up is, um, the song was over, and they cut to a fucking commercial. So they never announced the fucking name of the band. And I went to school the next day going, whoa, whoa, dude, I heard this fucking song. They kept saying, fuck you. I won't do it to tell me. And they're looking at me like, like you just discovered one of the best upcoming fucking quote unquote rock bands, metal bands, whatever of this generation. And no one was really into them because it was kind of cliche to be into this band. Um, but I was like, fuck all y'all, dude. I'm getting into this band now. And um, that was Rage Against the Machine's debut album. The one with the fucking Vietnamese Buddhist monk in Saigon fucking self-emulating himself, basically pouring gas and burning himself. My mom heard this and she thought for a fact, she's like, wait a minute, this is much worse than the music you've been listening to. Why do you want me to buy you this? She heard, because the, the articulation and the clarity of the words, especially when he was saying fuck, you know, shit, all this shit. Uh, it was clear to her, like, wait a minute, this is a lot of profane fucking bullshit for my kid to be listening to. But I begged her, I'm like, mom, please buy me this fucking album. And I'll love you forever more than it did five minutes ago. And, um, she fucking, she fucking bought it for me. And I believe the one, the one tape that I had bought had all the fucking lyrics in it and the end sleeve. So I memorized all of them. Except for, I think, Settle for Nothing, because that's my least favorite song, to be honest with you. Um, but Bomb Track, Killing in the Name, which is the first song I fucking fell in love with. Take the Power Back, which still, to this day, speaks to me. Settle for Nothing, Bullet in the Head, Know Your Enemy, which it took me like 20 years to figure out that that was Maynard from Tool and in, uh, in, on that song on the breakdown. Wake up, fistful of steel, township rebellion, and of course, freedom. And freedom was interesting because I learned about Leonard, Leonard Peltier and his situation with with his fucking case and being incarcerated for something pretty fucked up. But I won't get into that. Um, but yeah, those are the most influential fucking albums. Uh, growing up actually, you know, the, cause in my adult life, then I had different ones, like especially Slipknot. Slipknot wasn't, Slipknot was, is like second to my Rage Against the Machine. And I know there's a lot of Slipknot haters, so, uh, fuck you. I don't give a fuck. They are one of the most unique and elaborate and elaborate and talented fucking motherfuckers I have ever. And there's nine of them, which is crazy. And one of them passed away. Um, 
And then, of course, Joey, Joey Jordison is no longer the drummer for them. It's Jay Weinberg, which is Max Weinberg's uh, son, who's just as badass. But that that band I discovered uh, right out of high school. And they changed my my fucking musical life for for forever to this day. I still listen to them to this day. Um, they for sure have been a major, major fucking influence in my, my musical life. Um, after that, it's probably still Metallica. Um, I want to say, I want to say Linkin Park, but I discovered them pretty late, but I still, I'm still a Linkin Park fan to this day. Um, rest in peace, Chester. And of course, White Zombie. Then Rob Zombie. And then Deftones. And then Corn. And then for a short stint there, I was Limp Bizkit until they, I don't know, I guess Terry Date got a hold of them and something happened. Um, because their first record with Ross Robinson was incredible. Um, and then it took off from there, but that I just named you all the albums that quite frankly had a major influence as a child leading up, leading up to my adult life. So, and I didn't even name the punk rock albums that I listened to from black, black flag, minor threat, sex pistols, even fucking subhumans, which is weird. Subhumans was one of my favorite fucking crust punk bands. And I discovered them in high school, which is, which is really cliche because there was a group of punkers back then and I hung out with most of them, but yeah, that's all I wanted to really talk about. Um, that was interesting because I never really sat down and talked about my musical influences and I wanted to do so because everyone's wondering, oh yeah, your playlist consists of, your playlist on Spotify consists of all kinds of shit, but well, what really were you listening to back then or now? And I just, uh, there's a lot more influences like Pantera, Pantera's Vulgar Display of Power, uh, Cowboys from Hell, there's there's just so many even fucking um dio uh there's just there's more i can't like i said i can't rank them so anyway that's all i got uh again happy new year um shout out to um all my boys at uh and girls at soundfly.com uh all my peeps at uh sae los angeles uh happy new year I'll be seeing you more this year. I will be doing more episodes. That's one of my resolutions. And um, that's all I got. Uh, I will see you next time. Take care of yourself and keep listening to music.